The following is provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and available at itunes.covenant.edu. Good morning. Welcome to chapel and welcome to the continuation of the 2008 Neal Conference on True Spirituality. We got off to a, a great start Monday with student-led chapel. Then yesterday we had an excellent chapel and concert with Fernando Ortega. And now for the next three days, we have the privilege of being ministered to and spending time with the Reverend John Smed. Uh, Reverend Smed will be speaking in chapel today, tomorrow, and Friday. And he'll also be giving an evening talk here in the chapel uh, at 7.30 tonight and then again tomorrow night. So Wednesday, tonight, so chapel right now, you're right here. Talk tonight, chapel tomorrow, talk at night, chapel on Wednesday. And then this uh, coming Friday, we'll also have a great kind of dessert, and there'll be live music out on the, out on the chapel lawn, so we, that'll be a great way to end the week together. Uh, I just want to say a few words about our speaker. Uh, I had a good friend of mine who was the former director of World Harvest Ministry, and when he found out that I was taking this position, he said, took me out to lunch, and said, the first person, if I were you, that I would call to come speak at Covenant is John Smith. And uh, I right away resonated with that because I was familiar with Reverend Smed's ministry. He has uh, served the PCA faithfully as a church planter, planting more than one church. He's also served our denomination as the director of church planting for the entire denomination. So he's been a, a trainer of church planters. He's, he's had a big impact in changing the culture even of how we approach church planting as a denomination. And the one thing that stands out to me as I've been exposed to Reverend Smed's ministry and his teaching and his writing is a great sense of personal dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ for life and godliness and anything we accomplish in ministry. Radical dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ, which has manifested itself in his ministry and an emphasis in his ministry on prayer standing at the very heart of ministry because we're utterly dependent on Jesus for every good thing. It only makes sense then that the heart of our ministry should be a radical commitment to prayer and meeting with our God. And so I'm just delighted that he's going to be here over the next three days. I encourage you uh, to come in the evening. The opportunity will have an opportunity for more interaction and question and answer. Uh, so I encourage you to come and just uh, Pick Reverend Smed's brain a little bit, even as, he, as you listen to his talks. I think they're going to be uh, a real blessing. And so it's my privilege to introduce Reverend Smed. And before I ask him to come up, I just would like to say a word of prayer on his behalf. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we praise you. You are great. You are awesome. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our obedience. It is good and right and fitting that we would give our lives away for your service. And yet, Lord, we come this morning and we confess that so often we don't even begin to approach such a life. Often our lives are caught up in self-absorption or in bondage to sin and fear. And we need you to set us free. We come to you this morning as a people who desperately need you to work in our lives. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to penetrate our hearts and our minds so that our minds are transformed and renewed, so that our affections are are warmed and that we have a passion for you, a love for you that fleshes itself out and that we want to live for you. Lord, we can't produce that kind of change in ourselves. Reverend Smed cannot produce that kind of change in us. Only you can do that work. And I'm asking you that you would see fit to use our brother over the next three days as an instrument of accomplishing your gospel purposes in our lives. Lord, would you anoint him with your spirit that he may speak your words to your people, that his words may go forward with power, bringing about conviction, bringing about strength and faith in the Lord Jesus, and bringing about empowerment for radical new obedience. Lord, would you do a great work in our midst in the coming days and even in the coming 30 minutes. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. It's my privilege to introduce our 2008 Neal Conference speaker, the Reverend John Smith. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. True spirituality, we'll be talking about prayer somewhat later in the week and uh, be talking about fellowship and the importance of fellowship. But today I want to talk about uh, fear and how to confront fear because fear is an ever-growing reality. Soren Kierkegaard said that uh, in the modern age of anxiety, uh, the old paradigm of sin and guilt will recede into the background. Isolation, loneliness, anxiety and fear will uh, come to the fore. And we're in the age of anxiety. In the media culture, we also find ourselves isolated from each other. We're, we're plugged in, which means we're not uh, involved with each other in a close and a conversational and a, in a way of touch and personal presence. That also leads us feeling isolated and fearful, and we feel alone. Of course, your fears are harder if you're alone. But the subject is how God shapes a kingdom conscience. And uh, that's what I'll be trying to do over these next few days. I just want to say, before I look at the aspect of fear, to, to say this, that a kingdom conscience is formed between the first and second great commands. The first great commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Now, if we grab hold of that commandment, we immediately feel a jealousy for God, a yearning for his holiness, like Lot, we're going to grieve daily the unrighteousness of the world, the lies, the indifference, the hardness to the gospel. And we're going to find ourselves often in opposition to our fellows. But Jesus said something interesting. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So just while the first commandment causes us to uh, be yearning for God's holiness and perhaps to separate we are immediately thrust back into the world to have compassion, to care, to minister the gospel to, and to be fiercely uh, devoted to the salvation of those around us. So the tension between those two commandments, at the heart of that tension and between it, is where a kingdom conscience is formed. We have a conscience for God and a conscience for our neighbor, and that's where we'll be headed. But before you can have a kingdom conscience, you have to get past the fear that characterizes your life and mine. Um, I took a sabbatical four months uh, last year, and 
I realized I'd grown to be quite fearful. I didn't identify it at first. It looked like anger, but it was actually fear. It looked like withdrawal, but it was actually fear. And I was beginning to fear the world around us. After nine years of ministering in Vancouver, I saw the hardness, the indifference, the, uh, the hostility even towards the gospel, and I began to fear that. I looked at the church. I saw its indifference. I saw its hardness. I saw its casualness towards the need of even the church and the world around it. And I began to fear that my activity would be futile. I looked at myself and I realized I felt very alone and I felt very isolated. I felt like I was on the ropes and I was, and I was punch drunk and I was unable to lift up my hands and defend myself. I felt alone and I resented it and I felt fearful. Now in my sabbatical, the first passage that I read uh, was this chapter in Joshua. Now I did not plan that. That's where I was reading in the Bible. I came to the book of Joshua. And God helped me encounter the fear I had of the world around me, uh, the community of God's people, and the people that I had to confront there, and the fear I had within myself. And so I believe this passage helped me enormously. It will help you. Because you have fears to address too. Fears around you. Fears among you. Fears within yourself. Let's hear this passage from Joshua. And uh, listen especially to the great promises of encouragement in it. Because fear feeds on unbelief, real and imagined enemies, but fear is expelled by the gospel and the promises of God in Jesus Christ, who has brought all of God's promises to pass through his finished work on the cross. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev in the wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the left or to the right. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. They answered Joshua, we will do what you command us. We will go wherever you send us. We will obey you as we obeyed Moses. May the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Anyone who rebels against your orders and does so does not obey your words. And everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. Heavenly Father, as we face enemies around, among, and within us, we know that fear can make us like orphans. We can feel alone and helpless and vulnerable in the world. Friends only with the fears that cover our life. 
As a result, we're unable to cross the Jordans you place in front of us. We're paralyzed. As a result, we're unable to provide the leadership you call us to. Nobody wants to follow a coward. As a result, we are not able to discover your call and purpose in our life. We're too busy trying to please men, climb ladders, and do other things. We pray, Lord, for courage, for gospel boldness, so that we can fight the battle of the Lord and we can move into uh, the fields and neighborhoods and venues and classes that you have for us to be participate in. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. So here's Joshua. He's facing a war of the worlds. This is the war to end all wars. This is a great battle. This is, this is the last battle, okay? You see, God doesn't fight wars just to have a fight. He fights it to end war. He fights the war to end all wars. Very different from any other human war, and we'll talk about that uh, tomorrow morning again. He fights this war, and it's the war to end all wars, um, and there's lots of challenges here. God would not give all these promises to Joshua if there wasn't any danger of fear. And God doesn't give the promises of the gospel to us except for an ever-present danger of fear that encroaches on us at every time. Now, if we look at this passage, we're going to see that Joshua is fighting the, the enemies across from him, among him, and within him. For example, he looks across the river. The Jordan River at this time is in full flood, which around Jericho could be a mile wide. How to cross a river that's a mile wide. There are fortified cities. These cities are built to withstand these standing armies and these long siege works. We read about enormous enemies and a warring people in Canaan, the cave trolls of their time, built for battle, ready to fight, and a virulent paganism heaped high with idolatry, ritual prostitution, uh, uh, child sacrifice, there was lots to be afraid of. The gods of Canaan defended Canaan. They were ancient gods, they were powerful gods, and God was declaring war on them. This was a battle pitched to the death. Joshua had lots of reason to fear the enemy across. As I think about our country in Canada, and you've faced similar things uh, in the United States, there's a flood of unbelief and dissipation totally unrepented of for years. Sixty years since Canada had a regular church-attending culture. They discovered a stash of pornography, child pornography, explicit sexual child pornography on one file of an internet, inter, a Canadian network of child pornographers. And they said if those files were boiled down to snapshots, you could stack them up, they would be as high as the Empire State Building. We have this flood of dissolution in Canada. We have an editing of God in this culture, a defiance of Christ, a warring people. Christians are on the ropes and are silenced and are afraid to speak out. We have strongholds of sexual exploitation and abuse. They fill the city and they're institutionalized. As you know, Vancouver was the first place in North America to legalize same-sex marriages, to permit adoption of children. We have safe drug sites where people are allowed to uh, inject their drugs and not get uh, contaminated with AIDS. We have legalized heroin program where 200 heroin addicts are permitted to have free heroin to see how well they do. We have a policy of harm reduction and institutionalizing the weaknesses and ills and even evils of our culture. Somebody said to me when we came to Vancouver, 
It would be easier to plant a church in downtown Baghdad than in downtown Vancouver. In fact, when I had come, there hadn't been a successful church plant in downtown Vancouver for 60 years. Extremely difficult to penetrate the heart of that city. Ingrained atheism and occult paganism penetrate our city. We see a metastasizing of a new age, occult, and pagan philosophy that's virulent and anti-Christian. And it's real. It will constrict your heart. We had an art show, and we call it Art in the City, Art in the Sanctuary. And we had a group of people come where this woman was a channeler, and she brought her 12 disciples with her to disrupt our event. It was my first encounter with that kind of spiritual reality in Vancouver. It set us on our knees in prayer. We began to realize there's real enemies. Now, as we face the modern city today and our communities, even in the South, even in Dixie, if you're really at the front line, you can feel the hand of fear reach into you to grab your heart and constrict it, to, to, to bring a crushing fear that can immobilize you and you can't move ahead. So this is the age of anxiety. The time is ripe. The tide is turning. The kingdom of God is at hand. This is not the time for fear. The world is filled with fear. It is the time for gospel courage and freedom. Isn't that what we long for? Can you remember that passage in the New Testament? They were thrown in prison. They were persecuted. When they got out, they said this. After they had prayed, after they had uh, prayed, the place they were meeting was shaken, and the they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This age of fear and the enemies against us is a call to gospel freedom and a call to kingdom prayer. Of course, we also fear confronting the enemy among us. Look at Joshua. Joshua was Moses' assistant. Who did Joshua get to be an assistant? I want to know that. There was Joshua by himself. Moses is dead. Now, as you read the narrative, you realize for 39 years, Moses had been fighting those Israelites. And every chance they got, they picked up some stones to stone him. When it came to taking the promised land, the 10 spies came back. We want nothing to do with this land. When Moses and Caleb and Joshua said, you have to go forward, they took up stones to stone them. Joshua feared the enemies inside as well. And he had to confront them. Good occasion for fear. Well, I think it's the same today, too. We face compromise, theological, biblical compromise. We've entered the new age of generous orthodoxy, which is a little too generous often and too soft in what we believe. Makes it confusing to get our bearings and our ground. We need to confront this. We've reached the age of a doctrinal hardness where people are much more concerned in our tradition with preserving doctrinal orthodoxy than getting the gospel out to the millions of lost people. We need to confront this. But we need to confront this in love and with courage. We can't be like the Iron Chef, right? You can't take that skillet and knock him one across the head. It just doesn't work. We can't be like Simon in American Idol. I don't care what you think I'm going to tell you. You know, when I want your opinion, I'll tell you your opinion. We're not allowed to do that. We have to learn to speak the truth in love to confront the enemies among us. One person said, Frank Barker said, if you don't win the battles inside, you'll never win the battles outside. We need courage to face the enemy within ourselves. When God said to Joshua, Moses is dead, 
he realized that Joshua felt like an orphan. He was the son of Nun, but we never hear about Nun. He was actually the son of Moses. All of his inadequacy, all of his soul-tearing tests, all of his fear of standing alone, you now will lead this people, it was all churning within him internally. It had to be. Now, isn't this true? You have to face an unknown world. You have to cross your Jordan. You have to take your leadership position. You have to find your call in life. You have to fight the battles that God calls you to fight. Fear constricts that ability entirely, and we're paralyzed. Martin Luther phrased it in a way that I like. He said this. He said, in prayer, we wage a mighty warfare, for in prayer, we fight the fear the guilt and the anxiety we all feel within us. Listen to these timely and powerful promises. They call out to us gospel courage. They're God's redemptive word to Joshua and his promise of his sovereign presence. He said to Joshua, he says to Israel, and in Jesus Christ he says to you, I promise you wherever you set your foot will be land I have given you. He promises you that in Christ no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So we have these things to fear across from us, among us, and within us, but what happens to you and I when we're captured by fear? We are a fearful people. I'm, I'm totally prepared to tell you that, brothers and sisters. I deal with fear a lot. I think I've always been fearful. I masked it under ambition, under drive, under anger, but I realized inside there's just a really fearful person who needs the gospel. You're like that. I had a young man come to me this week, and he said, I need to talk to you. And he said, I said, what's happening? I have a problem with pornography. My wife found out, new marriage. I said, how big a problem is it? Are you worried? He says, I am. He says, I have a problem with drinking. I don't drink often. When I do, I often drink too much. And I have this other problem. I have Christian friends and they can't really help me because they have the same problem. And I don't know what to do. He was completely paralyzed. He couldn't cross a Jordan River. He couldn't cross a pond. He couldn't cross a creek. He was completely filled with fear. And though he was brought up in a Christian home and knew the gospel, his leadership was completely killed. There was nothing he could do. Nobody would follow a man. You don't follow someone filled with fear. It kills leadership. He, his er, development was arrested in finding his call and purpose in life. He's taking all these studies, but he can't see past that. What are you calling me to do with my life? And he also was fighting a losing battle. You see, once fear captures you, it's like a wolf or wolves, a pack of wolves. Fears, what they do is, you know how they attack? They cull out the weak and the vulnerable and they get them alone and then they nip at their heels and bite at them until they bring them down. Well, fear is like that. Once fear begins to pursue you, 
It separates you out. And once it separates you out, it keeps biting and nipping. And you know what? Your entire life is nothing but a preoccupation with fear. That's what was happening. It was in danger of Joshua. It's in danger with you and I. When we are captured by fear, we lose this sense of crossing over to the challenges. Instead of Canaan being the land of freedom, the land of peace, the land of rest, the land of promise, what? It became the land of fear. And they couldn't, they weren't ready to cross over until they dealt with that fear. And Joshua has to be a leader. But if he's fearful, nobody's going to follow him as a leader. Do you remember Lord of the Rings? Denethor? I don't know about you, but I don't like following a guy who throws oil on himself, lights himself on fire, and jumps off cliffs. So if you stare at the enemy and stare at the problems and stare at the fear all the time, nobody's going to follow you, I assure you. Your calling and purpose in life, your mission, everything Joshua was designed and built to do, everything God wanted him to do was on the line here. Because fear blocks the ability to find God's call and purpose in your life and in mine. Only when he dealt with that fear was he ready to say, all right, Israel, get your preparations ready. We're crossing the river and we're going over because God has given us this land. Only when you deal with your orphan fear will you be able to move into understanding what God's call is for your life. It's vital to understand how the gospel does that. Otherwise, you're just going to be fighting the imagined enemies of fear itself. The fear of man, the fear of failing, the fear of, of, uh, of all the things that drive our life will direct us permanently. So how do we move from orphan fear to gospel freedom? How do we deal with that fear? First of all, acknowledge your fear and bring it to Christ. You are fearful. We are a fearful people. We have much to fear, much uncertainty and anxiety. Take off that bold posture, strip your soul before the Lord Jesus, and say, Jesus, I'm afraid. I am just scared. I don't know exactly what to do often. Whatever it is that's chasing you, whatever wolf has been plaguing you, bring that to Jesus. Don't try it in your own self-sovereignty. Secondly, Remember the gospel. Moses is dead. That's good news. That's such good news. Because Moses is dead to you and to me. We've been delivered from the guilt and condemnation of the law. We now live in the age of Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus who kept the law for us, who suffered its penalty, who died that you and I might no longer have to live in fear, guilt, and condemnation. His salvation is a deliverance from orphan fear to gospel freedom, to sonship, to union with Christ, to inhabitation by the Holy Spirit. 
There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace now with our Lord Jesus Christ. Acknowledge your fears. Rejoice. Moses is dead. Live in the promises of Christ. Look at all these promises that come to Joshua. If I'm an Israelite, I'm saying, how come he gets all this? I don't, what do I get? What's in it for me? Joshua, who's he? Just one guy. What about us? Well, isn't it true that Joshua served a mediatorial role? All of the promises given to Joshua were given to Israel through Joshua. They were promises to all the people of Israel. They were to be strong. They were to be courageous. They were to do all that he commanded. They were going to get the land. 2 Corinthians 120. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our I amen ascends to God for his glory. Every single promise of the Bible and of the Old and New Testament is yours as a blessing and benediction in Jesus Christ. Not because you've earned it. Not because you're strong and mighty and courageous. Not because of any of these things, but entirely because you brought your weakness and your fear to Jesus and asked him to heal you. Listen to the promises of Christ. He promises you this. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's a promise. I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sorry, no retreat is permitted. That river sits there. That land is there. And you have to cross that. You have to get past your... That land of fear has to become the land of freedom. The church is on a whole-scale retreat, has forgotten the lost world around it. Thank God you have a community development and some outreach programs and plans because the rest of the Christian world has forgotten that there's a needy world out there that we're supposed to reach. We have to cross the river. We have to take the land. We have to tear down the strongholds. We have to take captivity captive and find the Rahabs, the sexually exploited. We have to go to the other side and rescue the Gibeonites from their enslavement. We have to go over to the other side. There's no choice. I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves and I don't want you coming back and telling me, sorry, I was scared. I didn't go. The Great Commission is every man's mission. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He who is in you is far greater than he who is in the world. I promise you, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You will be inhabited and filled by the Holy Spirit. You will be sons and daughters of God. And as far as the sheep in the midst of wolves, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. And I am with you. I am not on this side of the Jordan. 
I'm taking you over. You stay on that side of the Jordan. You're by yourself. You truly are. To abandon the mission is to abandon Christ. That's all there is to it. I don't care if you're the chief worship leader in your church. To abandon the mission is to abandon Christ because Christ is on the other side of Jordan and we have to follow him. All of God's promises are yours in Jesus Christ. Now you've been set free from that orphan fear to gospel freedom in Christ. You've acknowledged your weakness and your fear. You've celebrated that Moses is lost. You've adopted these promises in Jesus Christ. Now you're ready to cross over. Now you're ready to lead and become the leader God meant you, meant you to be. Now you can take your studies and your time here and you say, God, what is my calling and purpose in life? Christians are the only people in the world who have that privilege of finding out all of my life has this call and this purpose. And now you're ready to fight the real battles, to take down the strongholds, to proclaim captivity, to rejoice in the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom of the gospel. Psalm 34, this poor man cried out and you delivered me from all of my fears. Help us to take to you the fears we have. The inadequacy, the insecurity, and the anxiety that besets our life and surrender to you and receive the gospel in its stead, which will banish fear and give us courage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The proceeding was provided by Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia and available at itunes.covenant.edu.